You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy weather Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble on drum. Beat out old trouble on drum. Beat out old trouble on drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the Radical Australian Community Radio, 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. It will be, you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. As you know, the Melbourne metropolitan region is in lockdown, therefore I'm not in the studio. The guest is not in the studio. Uh, Leanne is in the studio trying to coordinate this. If there's a little bit of technical issues, don't worry about it. That's the price of broadcasting during the uh, COVID-19 crisis. I've got a special guest who I met once in 2009. He's a prisoner now in the Melbourne Metropolitan Remand Centre, uh, uh, Mr. Rob Indersmith. How are you, Rob? Good morning, Jay. Yeah, uh, thanks, Will. It's a big prison, but uh, thankfully I'm part of a bigger prison rather than one of those um, insane, terrible human, inhuman things. Yeah, yeah. What's a, Dar- what's a Darwin boy doing in Melbourne? What, how come you got trapped here? Uh, well, I have been tracked, mate, yeah, but my wife and I came down on January the 3rd for personal reasons, um, and we're always intending to go back to Darwin. She had to resume work in early August. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, in the meantime, uh, I've got a bit of job as a disability support worker, which is my trade, you might say, um, yep. and I'm still lucky enough to be able to do that, you know. Um, so my wife's gone back to work, and I'm stuck here in Melbourne and with a full-on lockdown now. Uh, is she back at work in Melbourne, or is she back in Darwin? She's back in Darwin here uh, at work at high school. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, Rob. It, it's, it's an amazing time. It is an amazing time. Now, Rob, look, uh, this is just a, basically a conversation and we're interested in you. And, uh, you know, we've got a personal friend, uh, Stuart Highway. Well, that's how we, we met. So, mm-hmm. Rob, uh, when were you born? What year were you born? 1959, mate. I'm heading into my 61st year. Um, or into it, uh, yeah. Yeah, look, mate, I was a country boy um, in Western Australia and uh, grew up mostly in Perth. Um, then over the years ended up in print journalism in my background. I hope this is not all extraneous, mate. <laughs> but, um, no, nothing's yeah. extraneous. Nothing's extraneous. We've got to fill in 55 minutes, so nothing's extraneous, I can assure you. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 a lot of time on our hands now, haven't we? Um, but, mate, yeah, there's, so anyway, print journalism was my background. Joe uh, and... Uh, I don't think I wasn't a print journal when I met you. I think I'd been freshly sacked from the NT News. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I ended up in Darwin. <laughs> right. I ended up in let's, Darwin. Let's, let's, let's go back. So you were born. You were born where in West Australia? Where you born? Northern country town, mm-hmm. uh, about 120 k's east of Perth. Right. Uh, are your parents still alive? No, they're gone. Yeah, long oh. gone now. Any but, brothers uh, and sisters? Yeah, two of each. Yeah, they're all still oh. in West Aussie. Yep. And, uh, and Your old man wasn't working for the railways, was he? No, no, but he was a truckie. Uh, deliveries, just local deliveries around the town of Northam. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows, but it's, it was a town, was then and I believe still is, about 7,000 people. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was a train line did run through Darwin, uh, through Northam, rather. Um, yeah, part of the central west. It was a... Uh, you know, wheat growing area and sheep, you know, the 
yeah, Australia on the sheep, sheep's back and all that. And uh, I think it's been a boom town, Joe. And uh, yeah, my upbringing was nothing um, unspectacular. Uh, spectacular. It, um, it was. I was very lucky, you know, stable family life and all that. But yeah. I was just, you know, just brought up just like every other um, working class boy, I suppose. Right. And where did you go to school? Started at Northern uh, West Northern Primary, and then. Uh, my the first three years of high school were at Northern High School, which coincidentally mm. is built like a prison. It's just one big rectangle of a two-story building. <laughs> so right. I that, maybe that was a a port end for the future. But yeah, yeah. So I was at uh, uh, Northern High School until I was fifteen, then moved to Perth. Um, right. Yeah, for various right. reasons. Well, well, did you excel at anything at high school, or did you just just roll along like everybody else? Yeah, mate, rolled along. Um, Took a sign to English, I think, um, and uh, you know, um, didn't learn much about Aboriginal history for a start. You know, I'll, I'll admit that straight out, and I still feel betrayed, Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. As I think all of us mm-hmm. who were brought up in that the education system of those days um, should do, because we learned nothing about Indigenous Australia really. And uh, mm-hmm. um, it was only until I moved to Darwin really that I sort of, you know, my eyes opened in that respect. So say what, there were no Indigenous kids at, uh, at, the, at the high school and the primary school in uh, Norman? Oh, oh, look, no, sorry, there were. You, you were um, uh, one or two in West, West, West Northern High School, yeah, there was a few there. And uh, look, mate, I, it's real coincidence. There's a real coincidence involved here, Joe. But look, I was I started writing a book, right? I went on to start a prison diary after I went to jail for 28 days in 2007. But anyway, um, and I'm going exploring my background, but... Uh, for various reasons, that book came to a halt <laughs> in about 2009. Anyway, um, I remember my first encounter with an Aboriginal person was when I answered the door one day when I was only seven, no, I was seven years old, but at the door was another young girl. She would have been my age, I suppose, but uh, she was an Aboriginal girl and she had a bark painting to sell. Now, mm-hmm. I can't remember the painting, mate, and, uh, but I'll never forget that. And I was first time ever, I was taken aback and called mum. Mum came and, you know... I'd, I'm sure we sent her off politely, but we had an, uh, an Aboriginal, um, what's called a native reserve out of town. You know, that's all I do know. That's all I know about, yep. you know, um, the Aboriginal situation more, mate. And uh, mm. went to Perth and nothing much changed. And uh, mm. um, How old were you? How old were you? How old were you when you went to Perth? Uh, 15. 15 going on 16. So well, with your family or did you strike out on your own? No, no, we went as a family. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, me and my younger brother were the we, we were still with our parents then. You know, my older brother and sister had, uh, got jobs and that. that but um, yeah, Blue and I went to uh, Quinana High School, and then um, uh, yeah, I got into journalism. I was hang on, 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 hang on. Hang on. <laughs> uh, you're 18. This would be 1967. How does an 18-year-old? Wet around the ears, get into journalism. By chance, mate. I've got to tell you, and uh, you know, answering a, a telling question uh, of, during the interview. But yeah, look, uh, I think I'd done a bit of labouring. Um, you know, after I left school, I, and I only went to year twelve. You know, didn't go to uni or anything. But um, I'd done labouring. I worked with my older brother for a bit, but but an advertisement in the local paper, the Sound Advertiser, based in Rockingham, a seaside resort, which is sleepy. Seaside Resort in those days, um, mm. uh, south of Perth, they advertised for a cadet, and uh, uh, that's equivalent to an apprenticeship. An apprentice, um, mm-hmm. and anyway, and uh, I didn't spot the ad. Someone else did. I think it would have been, would have been my parents. Um, and they, um, yeah, they encouraged me. Yeah, as I say, at a, at a bent for English, you know, the written word. Um, and right. um, yeah, so I applied for the job and I got it. Right. People forget in those days it was pretty easy to get jobs, wasn't it? I remember I, I oh, used to do a lot of part-time work. You just go down to the local industrial estate and you walked into a factory and say, you got you got work, mate. And uh, before you knew it, they said, can you start this afternoon? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you did right, mate. It's a completely different scene to those days. Um, and I sympathise yeah. with well, you know, people, 18-year-old young people today for that reason, one of that, those reasons. Do you remember your first job as a journalist, as a cadet? Yeah, yeah, that was um, uh, that got me into the bottom end, you might say, um, as a cadet at the Sound Advertiser, uh, 
and there was a freebie circulating in Rockingham, Quinana. Um, so it was perfect. Yeah, I uh, used to jump in my old 69 Valiant station wagon and go to and from work, 20-minute drive each day to and from. Um, and thanks to a succession of good bosses, um, it was a, it was a um, sister paper of, well, run by the Sunday Independent, which was sort of a, a Sunday paper in Perth, uh, reasonably high-profile, and did well. Got a lot of scoops. Um, a bit anti-establishment, but... Um, here at, uh, that was owned. The sound advertiser was owned by them, so I moved from the sound advertiser. I was basically promoted to uh, the Sunday Independent, where I did a bit of sports writing. Hang on, hang and, on. Uh, let's go. Let's go back to the sound advertiser because this is an extraordinary period. You know, sixty nine, seventy in Australian history. This is seventy nine, eight. This would be seventy nine, eight. Seventy nine, eight. Seventy nine, eighty. So, what type? What type? What type of stories? Any establishment stories? Were you doing? Oh look, I didn't do any, mate. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I just know that um, there's, uh, there's a few lefties there, left wingers who certainly um, they did wrote a lot of yarns against the government. You know, the um, right. court court government was one. Um, Charles Sir Charles Court Sir Charles Court, he that became, uh, um, uh, and yeah, just off, they, they were good stories. You know, on its day, these, the uh, Indy was a good uh, pioneering newspaper. It was. Um, it only lasted about 20 years, I think, mate, but, you know, it's, well, it's joined a long list of um, papers that have gone yeah. down the Google, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. but, yeah, look, like, no, I was just strictly conservative then, mate. Um, as I said, wrote a bit of Aussie rules and uh, um, uh, a few general yarns, a few features. Um, HR, I think the most mm. dramatic mm. general news story I wrote was a, a car catching fire on, in peak hour traffic. Um, right. And I was on... <laughs> And I was on the spot to uh, cover it, as I say. As I say. Yeah, look, you, you, you've raised a very interesting point here because I, uh, I was in Hastings, which is, I don't know if you know, it's a very outer suburb of Melbourne about four or five years ago, and my car blew up in the middle of the, the city, right? Oh. There was fire everywhere. And uh, this reporter comes up and he says, I know you. And I said, no, no, you don't know me. And the next day, yeah. uh, the headlines in the paper was, Anarchy in Hastings. <laughs> oh, you're joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's hilarious. I thought it was a great headline, great headline, the car burning. It was just accidental. It was nothing, nothing, nothing uh, suspicious. But uh, I guess what you just raised me a car fire. I just reminded Very you. Very impressive. He, he obviously knew you better than uh, you, 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 yeah, you, 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 you. Yeah, he Googled me, obviously. Yeah, these days they find out anything that they want about you. Now, this was the Bond and Robert Holmes Accord days, wasn't it? The Skase days in. West Australia. Yes, yes, Holmes Court. Now, he um, he opened an opposition paper, you might say, but it was in mail, although that came out on Saturday. But look, Perth in those days, mate, um, from the late 70s to the mid-80s at least, you know, that was chock-a-block with newspapers. You know, this country used to be really well serviced by dailies and, and tri-weekly, you know, three times a week, and Sunday weekend papers. You know, Perth had five newspapers when I was in the business. It had... Uh, the Daily West Australian, long established, the uh, Evening Daily News, the Weekend News, all run by Herald and Weekly Times in those days, uh, the Sunday Independent and Homes of Courts Western Mail, you know, and uh, that's five daily news, uh, five newspapers, you know, mass circulation. And, um, Joe, look, I've always equated, I used to tell Stuart this, and he used to agree, but when we were, when we were in a grant, um, <laughs> not saying that we disagreed a lot, but, no, no, um, Newspapers equate to the health of a society, I think, Joe. You know, um, right. in those days, right. you know, in those days, uh, if you had, if you needed relief, or if you had a neighbour from hell, or if you were in a fight with a bureaucracy somewhere and some faceless bureaucrat, you know, if you either went to a lawyer, but they would cost you, or you went to your newspaper, and you know, newspapers used to write wrongs. As one of my bosses told me, he said newspapers used to write wrongs, and. Uh, and that he's damn right, you know, they could bring down governments, we know this. I mean, what Murdoch did, his first newspaper was the Adelaide Advertiser, I think. But, you know, mm -hmm. the, the fight, fighting they did for um, Rupert Maxwell Stewart, you know, the Indigenous bloke wrongly That's accused right. and fitted up for murder of that poor young girl. But young you know, Murdoch, yeah. Murdoch championed him. You know, now, it's a mystery how Murdoch was so, you know, um, uh, fear, fear, fearless in his... A bit to get that that bloke exonerated, 
Um, and I would say that's a left-wing sort of trend. You know, yeah, justice basically is more left-wing, I think, but isn't bloody right-wing. But anyway, um, but then uh, for Rupert Murdoch to then go forth and do what he's done now and kill it, he's, he's known for having killed the newspaper industry or media industry in three countries, Australia, England and America. You know, that's Rupert Murdoch's legacy today. But yeah. back in the day, back in the 60s, uh, he was a champion for Rupert Maxwell Stewart. And, um, yeah, newspapers, mate... Yeah, you, you meant talk about the difference in the workplaces. Then, uh, yeah, the newspaper world was certainly different than it is today as well. Mm. A lot of hard drinking or just... Oh, mate, look, not as much, you know, I wasn't a die in the, die hard, you know. I mean, I was you know, young and I sort of got out by me... Um, no, I'm just saying, in journalism, was that a trade in journalism in those days, you know, them little independent papers or...? Yeah, look, it was a sort of the tail end of that era of journos, mate. Um, I, think, yeah. I think there was such a thing as a gold major journalism in the fifties and sixties, but and I think they were the, you know, they were the um, stops as you'd call them. But but boy, could they write yeah. get stories too. But yeah, look, when I yeah. when I came out into it, um, there was another young bloke who came in almost the, within days of me joining as a cadet out in the Independent, and uh, it was mainly him and I who used to go out mainly on the weekends, mate. You know, and um, we'd hit it a bit, but. Um, not sort of prop up the bar, as it were. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, I, was, I guess I was lucky in that respect, mate, but mind you, it didn't stop me um, hitting it later on in life. <laughs> right, well, I'll go to that for a minute. But it's interesting, you know, because uh, I, I don't know if you... Did you know a reporter called Tom Pryor who's the crime reporter for the Herald Sun in Melbourne? Ever heard of him? Tom Pryor, I sure did, mate. Yeah, I, worked, I was at um, the Sun when he was there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I struck up a friendship with Tom about oh, 25, 30 years ago, and I interviewed yeah. him, and he said that his first job was a cadet journalist. He said he spent all his time running from the uh, hotel, doing errands <laughs> for his boss, and he'd, he'd get in there, because it was, it was a wharfy pub, because they'd open up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he'd oh, get there the at 6 Was the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I and, he, and he said his boss would sit there. He would sit there, and they'd all come to him with the stories, you know, the painters and doctors, you name it. He'd just sit there all day, and he'd send off Tom to do listen to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, mate, yeah. that's that's uh, that's radical because um, yeah, Tom, that would have been the days when I was well, I was only at the Sun for eighty two to eighty three. But yeah, Tom Pryor. I mean, I didn't know him that well, but uh, you know, we said good day to each other and that. But um, yeah, yeah cool, of course, I think he wrote a couple of sporting yarns as well, but. But, um, yeah. yeah, the waterside workers, that's right, that's the days in the um, painters and dockers. Yeah, yeah, a lot of news going on in those days. Yeah, and they just used to sit in the pub and just shift the news that came through, you know, different yeah. factions, you know, night meet other factions. It reminds yeah, me. Yeah. But, so yeah, what no, happens no. after... You go, mate, sorry. Sorry. No, no, my fault. Uh, usually I've got people in the studio and I look at eye to eye and it's easy, but it's a lot more difficult doing it uh, this way, this virtual interviewing. So uh, how long did you last at the, in West Australia for? Look, I was at, uh, in West Australia until 82, actually. Um, I quit, actually, from the sound advertiser. I was back at the sound advertiser. I was sort of dividing my time between the sound advertiser, the local paper in Rockingham, and uh, the Sunday Indie in Perth. Uh, but anyway, there's... A couple of things happened on the sound advertiser. They had what's called compositors, and uh, you might have, Tom might have mentioned these to you, but you might know them, Joe. It was in the old hot metal days. Yeah, when, yeah, I remember. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And comps were a skilled profession in themselves, you know. But but um, anyway, there, there's a few stuff ups with the sound advertiser, of which I was the editor then, uh, and uh, it was just sloppy, you know. It was sloppy work, and I various reasons, but I quit. I um, not having another job or anything. I would have been about. Um, March, April 1982, uh, when I was 22, and uh, I quit as a matter of principle, and look, mate, it was destiny, because within days, I got a call from the then sports editor of the Sun News Pictorial, the Daily, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. saying who I'd met, me and, me and two mates had gone to Melbourne on a holiday, on my annual holidays, we'd driven to Melbourne, and, yep. uh, there mm-hmm. and, back, and I just walked into a few papers, the truth included, I went into the truth, and uh, um, that, that, was a, that was another paper in Melbourne. Melbourne was a thriving newspaper town as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I just got a call out of the blue from the sports editor of The Sun um, saying, when can you be here? 
you know, again, Joe, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, destiny and so fluky, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, so I jumped in the old Val and uh, I drove over there and I was I was working at the Sun in sport, uh, like within weeks later, from May 1982. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you yeah, know, the, 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 sorry, you go. No, I just said that reminds me of Tom, Tom Pryor again because uh, I met him in '86 when we had the Australian Anarchist Centenary celebrations, and he um, he did some, he did an article because you know he was a sports journalist. He did an article on the on the cele- uh, you know on anarchism and the celebrations in the Sun of all places. Oh, good and, on him! Yeah, yeah, and he said to me, and he said to me, he said, "I've been in this place for 30 years. I've never been censored before, but as soon as I strayed." Into politics, and you know, they started censoring me. Oh. It's quite interesting. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, because as long as he stuck to sports, you know, he was a hero. But once he strayed a bit, uh, there was a problem. Yeah. At this stage, were you politically motivated in the eighties, or were you just just another news? Were you just interested in Mate, your work? No. no, no, I don't think it was, Joe. Like, I mean, I was a slow developer, I suppose. But look, um, it's interesting you should ask that because. I do remember being repulsed by the front page of the Sun once, uh, the um, the wedding, you know, Charles and Diana's wedding, yeah, the royal yeah. wedding, and that sheeted home to me the reality of just how conditioned we are to uh, those days, and still we are to a lot of to a great extent here. But you know, it was just so it was just so sickening. I thought, you know, the front page adulation of a paper like the Sun, which was well, maybe the Sun was in touch with its readership. Maybe it was, I don't know, mate, but I mean, I don't know, the age at the Melbourne Herald, the Afternoon Herald, were as besotted by this wedding. But anyway, I, I think I, I remember saying to myself, you know, there were Nazis who did this front page of Charles and Diana's <laughs> wedding. But but look, um, yeah. mate, nah, no, I, I didn't feel really anti-establishment then, I think is a cliche, I know, but but no, yeah. anarchism certainly I had not a clue about. Um, and uh, so Tom would have been there... Yeah, he, um, so he, you met him in '86, you reckon? Yeah, look. '86, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, so it's just a few years. But yeah, mate, as I said, I didn't know him that well. But maybe he mm. knew. Was how long had he been? He been sort of anarchist. Was he an anarchist? Did he call him an anarchist? No, 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 no. It, it, no, he was interested in eccentrics, basically. And he thought I was an eccentric. So, yeah, <laughs> he, he was an old-fashioned reporter. He was interested in the little person, and he was interested in people who were, you know, against authority. But it never yep. crossed his mind that uh, be, there was censorship there because he was just a sport. He was a sports bloke. But then, he, as he got older and he was near retirement, he kind of drifted into a bit more political stuff. And then he said, "He said I interviewed him on 3CR, uh, uh, not on Radical Australia, but another program I was doing, in, you know, for an hour." And he said, "You know, that, that's when he really." Um, Understood the, the, the political censorship in, in that organisation. Yeah. Well, yeah. you've you, you raised another recollection about the royal wedding because I was actually in London at a medical conference during the royal wedding, and uh, there were people from all over the world at this medical conference. And when it was on, they brought out the TV and they put on the royal wedding. This is a medical conference of top medical specialists from around the world, and the uh, Indians, the Pakistanis, the uh, uh, Caribbean, me, uh, we all walked out and, you know, in, in disgust and just, you know, had a coffee. <laughs> all the oh, English <laughs> and, the, and now the Australians watched the Royal Wedding. So I can understand your disgust. <laughs> oh, how about that? Oh, yeah, look, even at, yeah, yeah, the medical conference, though, I mean, crying. <laughs> bizarre. Yeah, right. you know? Oh, bizarre. Um, you think these are intelligent people, you know? Oh, amazing. So how long would you last at the Sun, Sun News Pictorial? Um, till 83, I did my uh, 13-month sabbatical, uh, which, you know, I was going to go only for a year, I knew that, but anyway, yeah, so I then left uh, Melbourne, went back to Perth, and uh, landed on my feet there, yeah, still a thriving newspaper town, and res- I got at the Sunday Times, I think I forgot to mention them, Shit, that might have been the sixth paper, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, so I I got into the Sunday Times, I knew a mate there, it's always good to have mates. <laughs> the- well, yeah, it is, it is. Uh, it is. So, yeah, yeah, I worked at the Sunday Times. Um, and uh, another paper, the Midweek Times, for a couple of days. I was only I worked on a casual basis for I don't know six months, I suppose, and then I think I got full time again back at the Sunday Times. Um, still not with no awakening, which I call it, Joe. Um, you know, I, I was still wasn't. I, I was like what Tom's how your description of Tom. How I think I was anti-authoritarian. You know, I think I was um, I was anti. Um, 
bloody uh, dictatorship and all that. Um, a, a lot of which was around, and a lot of which is invisible and subtle, isn't it? You know, um, dictatorship. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So then I was still only in my mid twenties, really. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, look, I had a steady income and able to go on holidays, and you know, uh, yeah, look, um, not much more, mate. But oh, and, and I was sort of in Perth. Uh, until '89, um, doing that, and I joined the Australian in Sydney um, on the sports desk there. Um, right. And the, and the Oz year. Oh, by the way, sorry, I meant I forgot to ask um, about the censorship, Tom's censorship. That's interesting that he should say that because um, that's something that I never would have even recognised. I don't think, but he said it was. Gut- so that was the Herald and Weekly Times when sort of it was at its prime, and to know that um, they were censoring. You know, ideas or you know, non non mainstream ideas is an interesting revelation to me. Yeah, he, he said he said that look, he he he'd done sports for thirty years. He never had any trouble. He's straight into politics because obviously, when you're a senior doyen, you kind of stray. And you know, retirement's coming up, and he said that's the first time he realised that the uh, the political censorship that was occurring uh, in, in 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 the newspaper. You know, because. Uh, mm. Yeah, I had a, I've had a few friends come up with that. But, you know, you raised a very important point about the importance of multiple newspapers in the community because I've done a lot of research on the on the Eureka Rebellion and for 25,000 people, they had five newspapers. For 25,000 yeah. people. If it wasn't for the newspapers, the newspaper editors, four of which supported the rebellion, uh, the rebellion, one, would never have occurred and two, they would never have been acquitted in Melbourne, uh, you know, 12 months later. Yeah because they had an extraordinary influence in the population because, you know, a free press, as you said, it's, it's the fifth pillar of a, of a democratic society. But, yeah, that's right, mate. And um, one of the two people jailed over that was not the insurgents or the eight or whatever it was who charged, but the editor, one of the editors. The, editor. the Ballarat editor. Harry Seekham. Harry Seekham. Yeah. Harry Seekham. Yeah. Yeah, Ballarat. Okay. yeah. Yeah. He was charged yeah. and he spent three months in, in jail. He was found guilty and charged. Yeah. They used to say Layla was the sword and Harry, he was the pen of the Eureka Rebellion. Yeah. Yeah, look, mate, that that three months wouldn't have been easy, I, I'd imagine, but but that's right. Yeah, yeah, mate. I'm, I, I had researched it. I forgot, you know, I've forgotten all that stuff soon, but Layla, Peter Layla, that's right. See, we should be taught that at school, shouldn't we, Joe? I mean, I don't know if they oh, do sure. now, but I, I know I wasn't no. taught about it. No, they don't. So, how long did you last with the Australian for as a sport, you know, on the sports desk? Yeah, look, um, again, mate, I, yeah, I did a bit of general news there as well, but um, that was in education as well. But, but yeah, yeah, again, I did about a year or no, yeah, yeah, did a bit of, about a year or and a half, year, year and a half at the um, Oz, and then um, mm. I um, got involved in other work, just general work. I sort of quit and, and did odd jobs because I was. I had personal connections there at that time, uh, mm. and I was in. In fact, I ended up at a place called Woodstock in um, New South Wales, in the, in the central west. Of, uh, what did I say? I said central west and northern. No, no, that was the central wheat belt. Sorry, northern where I grew up was what's called the central wheat belt uh, mm-hmm. in Woodstock, which is near Cowra in New South. Um, it was what's called the central west. Uh, um, but um, yeah, and I was there until '94. 1994, I would have been 34 then, I was 34. And so, and then I returned to Perth again. Um, so, yeah, uh, so in my mid 30s, jeez, um, you got me tested now, Joe. <laughs> I should have like, dig, dig into my memory banks. Um, yeah, again, I just, um, general general jobs around the joint, my family were there. That's why I was just happy to be back with my family, you know, and seeing uh, yeah, brothers right. and, and mum and dad. And, um, yeah. So I, um, yeah, that's right. I worked on the West. Yeah, I got a job on the West Australian. Oh Christ, that was yeah. that. Now that was interesting because that was a tip of the iceberg of casualisation of, right. um, of of newspapers as well as mainstream society. But yeah, that because I remember when I was at the West again in sport. I've been mainly in sport, you know. But um, I, uh, I didn't. I knew a bloke. I knew the sports editor there. I phoned him. In '96, I think, when I was in Perth, I said, "You got your hiring?" I said, "You're hiring." He said, "Yeah, yeah, come in. You'll take you on for three months. See how you go, and then we'll either take you on full time." 
Anyway, so I did. I did my three-month stint, and then my contract wasn't renewed. Now, other things had happened then, uh, but the West, I knew that at that stage, the West was nowhere near as good as what it used to be. I mean, the West was always conservative, I think, but at the same time, you know, the West Australian, uh, one, of, one of Australia's oldest newspapers, you know, a century and a half or something, but that used to write good shit too, you know. That used to expose things. I don't think it ever brought down a government as such, but... But um, there's some good journos, great journos, and in fact, well, uh, um, what's his name? Um, Wainwright, Robert Wainwright, I think, was one of the journos. Yeah, there's anyway some good journos, good writers, authors came out of Perth. A lot of them were at the West. But um, anyway, yeah, my my three month contract wasn't renewed. Now I got another contract. They said another three months. That's right. We'll take on for another three months. So, and I'd since heard that. Some of the some of the sub editors, so I end up in sub editing. You know about subs, dear Joe. You know the yeah, they yeah, spell, yeah. We're supposed to correct spelling mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, so I did a total of six months at the West. But during that time, I found out that uh, I wasn't the only sub there being take uh, being renewed a contract. You know, there was, there was a lot of what was going on, and uh, I thought mm, this is interesting. Um, because there's no permanency, is there? You know, I mean, you don't know. No, it's not permanent. So, but I lasted at the West for about six months, and then, um, uh, yeah, hung around in Perth until um, nineteen eight. Um, what uh, nineteen ninety eight till nineteen ninety eight, and mm-hmm. uh, I heard there was a, I, in quite a girl a girlfriend of mine went to Darwin, and she was still single, like six months after she went there. So I said, look, all right, all, and I started sniffing around at the NT News. I made a few calls to the Daily Murdoch's Daily Newspaper at the NT News, mm-hmm. and they were hiring too. So I ended up going to Darwin for a, for a woman and a job, and I got the job but not right. the woman. Right. <laughs> well, I hope your wife isn't listening to this. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's your wife. Well, she's got to be it's going to sorry, be podcast yeah. anyway, so it's there forever. So sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, I think she knows that one, but um, yeah, 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 no, yeah. So that's how my day, Darwin days began in um, nineteen ninety eight here at the NT News. What did you think? Of, what did you think of Darwin in ninety eight in the Northern Territory? Look, mate. Again, it was on the cusp of when things started going belly up in Darwin. You know the. The plutocracy was ruling the bloody conservatives. At, well, well, the CLP government. You know, I mean, all I'd known about right. Darwin at that stage was, you know, Aboriginals and the CLP. And mm-hmm. you know, there was, you know, I just used to see the footage of I think it was Mike Reed wrapping the microphone cord around the journo's throat. You know, that famous grab on the ABC yeah, radio. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and I thought it was just, it was bloody weird. I thought, you know, certainly. As a family, it would have been the stunted kid in the family, as we, you know, only of Australian states. I think the NT <laughs> took the cake there. But at the same time, my younger brother had told me about his time in Darwin, which uh, he left in '89 or thereabouts. But he'd written me a few letters when I was in Perth, and he was still in Darwin and uh, he was working on an oil rig. So he would have seen things in a totally different way. You know, he, that would have been a real hard living job. But, <clears throat> but yeah, it was wild times. You know, he used to tell me about the casino and all that, and the, which was built on a Aboriginal graveyard, by the way. Not many people might know that, but certainly not yeah. mainstream. I didn't. But yeah, the Darwin Casino. I'm afraid it's got, you know, it's um, got an ignominious past there. But but look, um, yeah, mate. I just got straight into the job. I was working afternoon shift, so um, I know I did go to a play. I was I was up there not long, and I went to something called 2001. A space odyssey or space odyssey? Can't remember. It was it was like the song, but um, and it was a play performed. It would have been performed in late '98 or '99. Now it was bloody brilliant. It was a political satire, and that's something I've got to say about Darwin. And and all the time I was up there, their political satirists, their and the plays they have, you know, are really searing. They're great. They're great commentaries on um, not just Australian politics, but what Darwin is alive. Um, it certainly was before I left. Well, it would be now. Darwin's alive. You know, there's a lot of underground activity up there and a lot of good, strong thinking uh, and principled people who are appalled at what our government is doing, you know, the refugees. And, and of course, let's not forget the East Timor link. You know, um, 
Darwin was uh, a conduit for um, communications coming out of East Timor during the bloody oppression of Indonesia, you know, in the late 90s and uh, early 2000s. I mean, and I'm ashamed, that, I first became ashamed of being an Australian, Joe, when I hit Darwin. You know, it's, yeah. um, I, I said, you know, things were being done in, done in my name and our name, you know, Australia, in, Indone- in East Timor, for instance, you know, um, how Australia was sitting back and blind, uh, having a, a turning the other cheek to what was going on in East Timor, you know, uh, by Indonesia. Um, and uh, it's it's um, independent now, but it was born, stillborn, I reckon. East Timor is a stillborn country because of the oppression that it suffered. But they endured. The East Timorese survived and... Uh, you know, uh, anyway, they got what they got now, which is high unemployment. But, but um, now it's West Papua. You know, what's going on yeah. in West Papua is diabolical as well. And this government yeah, of ours, mm. yeah, it's disgraceful. So what, what were you actually? You're on the Northern Territory news. What were you actually reporting on? Again, sport, Joe. Um, <clears throat> I was, um, I've been sort of lucky, I'd say, because sport, this world of sport is smaller, but yet it's bigger. You know, but. The nature of writing, I reckon, is different to general news. They, you probably and you don't experience what Tom experienced, which is censorship. You know, um, mm-hmm. general news, political news, particularly. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, certainly in, in the Murdoch press, which never occurred to me before, but um, and I never saw it. You know, um, I he- I've heard tales over the years, over the decades, that um, you know the the Australian, for instance, which was yeah. Uh, strongly influenced by Murdoch himself, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I never saw that on the ground, as it were. But but in sport, you know, you're, you're oblivious to all that and you're not subjected to it, you know. I was just writing, um, I was subbing, again, I was subbing mainly, which just meant put me in the office, you know. I was in the office most of the time during my job, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, subbing other people's stories and and uh, looked at the sports scene and, and I ended up um, being 2IC to the then sports editor, Ashley Hornsey, who was my um, boss up there. A um, lot of respect for him. And um, look, on our day, we used to turn out one of the best sports sections in Australia, I reckon. It was smaller than, you know, all the other major dailies, of course. But, but um, yeah, it was good fun under him. But the general section was... The successive editors there were just... They were bad men. They were just unprincipled, you know, puerile. And, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the NT News has been a joke for, you know, 20 years and... Uh, there was, a, there was a strong lefty, and one of the old legends of the game, named Jim Bowditch. He uh, he was the editor at the NT News until the 60s, I think. But um, And he was married to an Indigenous woman, I believe. But, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he championed a lot of causes, you know, Aboriginal causes up there. And uh, um, But after him, after Murdoch took over, I think Murdoch bought the thing in the 60s. It just mm-hmm. went... It went to shit, mate. You know, the NT News, I don't know if anyone's read it, but you can put it this way, if you use the NT News as a guide to the town, then you wouldn't want to go near Darwin, you know, but Darwin, it's unique. It has a chance to be the best place in Australia, the best city in Australia, um, you know, but it's just suffers the same. It's got the same yoke on its neck, which is it's run by morons, you know, from the Darwin City Council, certainly to the governments, and the ALP was the same. You know, Murdoch, uh, Claire Martin, came to Darwin and took over in 2001. And, and we all breathed a sigh of relief. We thought, oh, you know, you know she's changed, things are going to change now. No more CLP, no more rednecks. <laughs> Don't you believe it, mate. She became more hardline. The rate of Indigenous incarceration in, increased under her. You know, I mean, Claire Martin, you know, it's um, without risking a defamation suit for us, mate, nah, she, she got away with a lot that wasn't reported. And, and Darwin is also disadvantaged by its media. You know, the ABC used to do a few exposés, and the NT News will get it right. You know, I remember one of their headlines was um, going back about 10 years. It had uh, cabinet... What did it have? Front page cabinet lunatics or something like that. That was out, that was just uh, a real rare uh, angle for a yarn. But, but mm. by and large, the NT News remains a disgrace. Mm. You know, it's, uh, it's the crimes it commits against journalism, even to this day... You know, they curl your hair, you know. If you've got any jail... How, yeah. so how long did you last? How long did you last? Uh, 16 months, mate. Um, I, um, me and the sports editor, we, yeah, we, I got on with the sports editor and I'm still a mate of Ashley today. He came to my wedding. Um, 
But um, the general news editor, like Ashley used to take a couple of days off a week, Wednesday and Thursday, and the general news editor came after me. You know, he didn't like me and uh, for various reasons. Anyway, um, so uh, I took him for uh, unfair dismissal and I summonsed like every, I think, nine out of ten of the main journos and subs in the building, and including the editor. And the editor, right. under cross-examination, I asked him about his background, and he's the only, only a young bloke, he was younger than me, you know, and I asked him about his background, and he rattled off my CV. Yeah, <laughs> he rattled off. I, I, I reckon he, you know, the Melbourne, he started in Melbourne, then he went to Sydney, and oh, he was, yeah. a, he was a piece of work, that bloke, but I won't, I won't name him, but... but um, no, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, mate, no, nah, look, 16 months here, I lasted um, at, at the NT News. Uh, and uh, was I working there when I'm a student? No, I wasn't working. I, I didn't meet Stuart until after I left here. Um, that's when I got in, sort of all involved in the socialists first. Um, and right. let's, let's not forget the Socialist Alliance, Joe. I don't know what they're like down here, but in Darwin, they had a presence, you know. They used to sell the Greenland right. Weekly at the markets, and that's a, mis mm -hmm. that's a badly missed paper, I reckon. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, yeah, so uh, I sort of got involved with them and uh, I met Gary Myers well, first. What, what, yeah, well, what made you move in that direction? Because, as you said, you've been a sports reporter most of your life and uh, there must have been something clicked in your head. Look, mate, by then I'd, I'd known about East Timor uh, and West Papua and then uh, Indigenous Affairs. Yeah, look, I, you know who swung me? I think I think it was Stuart. I think... Stuart Myhoff, certainly Myhoff, I don't know if you remember that name, he, he fought, founded the yeah. political activist group, we were, we were in that network against Prohibition. Um, I met those two blokes concurrently and uh, soon after I met a guy named Bill Day, a Perth-based anthropologist, Bill Day, um, and he was living and working in, uh, living in um, Darwin, fighting for the Larrakia uh, in right. the late 70s, early 80s. <clears throat> you know, so, and I think I'd just become too disgusted with the politics there by then. Um, after Martin started swinging to the right and uh, I'd say the hardline inhumane, right? Uh, the thing has just sort of swung me then, Joe. It wasn't a, an epiphany as such, but but um, we ended up... Uh, Gary formed the Network Against Prohibition and um, by then I would have been 40. Yeah, I think I was the oldest bloke in the, in the map. But, but yeah, Gary Meyerhoff, mate, I don't know if you've ever discussed him on the channel, but he, he I think, yeah, he was... He'd call himself an anarchist as well. He... Um, yeah. But he was out there. He was a drug user, and uh, and he wouldn't mind saying he was. You know, he he was fought, his gig was um, fighting for drug users. You know, now um, there's, there's human rights in that whole that whole aspect as well. But Stuart agreed with him, you know, and, and I did too. You know, I mean, it's it's human rights all around. I mean, and drug use shouldn't be a criminalised um, habit. It should be dealt with right. problematic drug use. Should be dealt with in, in as a medical Health problem. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think the world is moving towards that direction. You know, this, this so-called war on drugs has destroyed so many lives and so no, many people it? and so many families. It's just ridiculous. Indeed, so, yeah. so how long? How long did the network last for? Look, mate, our flame burned brightly for 18 months, I suppose. Um, but it's a moral imperative, Joe. It's uh, you could say that the, the moral. Um, aspect of it is still alive in the minds, hearts and minds of certainly Stuart. You know, Stuart, uh, he, he'd say that he's still a napper. Gary's gone. Gary went in 2006, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, look, I still, yeah, I mean, it's what it is. It's just in name now, mate, the network against Prohibition. But, but um, yeah, 18 months, I suppose. We uh, we raised Mary Hill for most of 2002, um, mm -hmm. talking up about or at least 150 um, charges, many of which we beat. Either they were just dismissed or found not guilty. Um, real dangerous things, okay, like criminal criminal damage and obstruction of public walkway and um, bill posting. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, these, bill these posting. Oh, that's, 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 a, that's a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I used to I used to be involved in a group years ago. It must have been 40 years ago, and we screen printed these signs. Um, you know where they've got bill posters will be prosecuted we used to put underneath poor bill poster <laughs> yeah yeah that's right that's yeah. juvenile crap you know <laughs> oh, sometimes yeah. it's about all you can do so what other well, activities did you get involved 
do you think you spent some time in, in jail in Darwin? What was all that about? Yeah, mate, look, I did the um, 28 days, uh, I did the Parliament invasion with Stuart. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, me and Stuart and eight other people, we uh, well, the headline on the front page of the next day's paper said Parliament invaded. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was described versus as storm, Parliament stormed. But um, look, we had a tent embassy outside Parliament House. Um, me and Gary and a couple of others erected two ramshackle tents, but they lasted, they stayed up for 48 hours until the cops came and knocked them all down, <laughs> tore them down. Um, yeah. We had a tent embassy. Um, we uh, had um, rallies in the mall. Uh, we had a costume parade, about five of us. We dressed up as Batman, um, the Grim Reaper, Batman and Robin, um, uh, the guy in a gorilla suit, and lost Father Christmas. Um, we, uh, just political stunts like those stunts like that, Joe and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that might be a bit puerile, but then you could sort of get attention. You know, you could get a, yeah, a, yeah. a couple of paragraphs in the local newspaper, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But um, we occupied offices was one of our strong ones. We occupied the officer of the Chief uh, chief Health Officer, officer Shirley Hendy, uh, in 2002, five of us. Um, now, Stuart, I think Stuart, yeah, he was in most of these. Um, he wasn't a tentage, yeah. but... Um, yeah, uh, but the big one was, um, yeah, the Parliament invasion. And uh, I did 28 days because I'd, I'd been charged tentage and I was on bail. So by me committing, tentage was first and then in May May 14, 2002, we stormed Parliament. And uh, because I had, me and Gary had criminal charges pending, uh, you know, we were, it was a jailable offence and Gary had died by then, but I, um, I did jail time... Uh, all 28 days, but but Stewart's was the um, he did three months um, yeah, a year or yeah. so earlier for uh, what was called the sixth smoking, where the cops rioted. They rioted, Joe. It was bloody terrible, you know, um, what the bloody yeah. cops did in the name of the government and all that. Sorry to swear, listeners, but yeah, yeah. but um, yeah. So Stewie yeah. did three months, mate, um, no. and uh, okay, he, was, he was charged with criminal damage too. I think he. Um, yeah. I was watching him. Now, yeah. they claimed that he smashed a police car windscreen, which would be no mean feat in itself, but I was seeing him. He was, he was punching the windscreen because um, trying to, we are trying to get out Emma Corro, who was... Uh, hey, by the way, do you know Emma Corro? No, no. Okay, I heard she was in Melbourne, but she might be might have changed her name. <laughs> but anyway, I doubt it. But see, she'd admit to be an anarchist as well, mate. I mean, she was young. She was a young woman. Um, she was only in her 20s in those days. But, but anyway... Um, uh, so yes, I didn't. I don't. I think it's it's a real peculiar uh, twist of bloody um, timing because Stuart was bashing on the windscreen. I could because I was looking through the drive. Must have been looking through the the driver's side windscreen. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, we had at that same rally. It was a smoking. It was one of our smokings. Um, I should have mentioned the smokings. We uh, we used to conduct a smoking every Saturday, or not every. They turned into monthly monthly smokings, mm-hmm. where we used to provide pot. Uh, mixed with Damiana, we used to roll joints, small joints, racehorses for the punters. We got to the stage where we rolled a one metre joint. I rolled, I personally rolled up a one metre joint with butcher's paper, um, and they increased in length, one point four metres, one point six metres. I don't think they were one and a half metres, but anyway, they grew a couple of centimetres each smoking. Um, we, we conducted smoking. Sorry, I should say that lasted as long as the smokings were, which were going, which was. We conducted mm-hmm. smokings every month or every second month for about three years. So, yeah, yeah, I was a bit premature. Our active, our full-on activist days, you know, disrupting uh, uh, society and the, and the good of society <laughs> were 18 months. But um, the smokings lasted for three years, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, just getting back to Stewie, yeah. We had a, um, a uh, Food Not Bombs rally, a, a stall, a stall at... Rain Tree Park in, this, in Darwin City. Now they were giving out tins of food, you know, and a lot of our, a lot of people attending were Indigenous, you know, homeless people, mm. you know, and yeah. uh, they were giving out tins of food. Anyway, when the cops came and started rioting, started just assaulting people, these the food tins of food were being thrown around, thrown at them. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the, the story went that while Stuart was bashing on the cop windscreen, a tin of food landed on the windscreen and actually shattered it. 
Stewie was charged with smashing the bloody thing. But anyway, um, but look, mate, it was mayhem. It was, oh, it was bloody brilliant yeah. to see. I had to lie low because my bass guitar was there. We had music and everything. We had a guitarist. And anyway, yeah. um, I, I tried to stay out of the thick of things, but yeah. it just got difficult. And they tried to arrest me, but I was able to break away. But anyway, um, with cops rioting and bodies being thrown everywhere, um, Emma was locked up in the back of the paddy wagon at that stage. Uh, and uh, they got Stuart, but um, uh, what was I going to say? I forgot what it was. <laughs> anyway, it ah, got ugly. Yeah. It got, got ugly, ugly mate. Yeah. No, you got yeah, 28 yeah. and he got three. Yeah. yeah, now, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, let's, let's just move forward pretty quickly. We've got about five or six minutes left. What did you move oh, into yeah. the disability support field? Oh, yeah. Um, soon after that, that's right, I was unemployed. Um, and I became a volunteer with a woman I was seeing. That she had a profoundly autistic boy. Um, how you going, Jason? How you going, uh, Anyway, yeah, I started as a volunteer, and then my work provider, uh, this is, hey, all hail the Centrelink here, uh, yeah. she, she, just, she, she suggested I do a course on disability support, um, and I did. I got my certificate three, then my certificate four, and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, look, mate, when I was, once I had those, I was able to get, start getting jobs, and uh, I worked, mm-hmm. I got a job um, for seven years. I was in Darwin full-time as, as a disability support Carer for seven years at Carpent, called Carpenteria. Then I moved to Man and Greta, uh, a remote community east of Darwin, for another three months. And yeah, anyway, I went back to Darwin. Anyway, the personal, my, my, my wife's family has always been down here in, in Melbourne, and uh, we had to right. come down to personal reasons, Joe. So we came down in yeah. January, and that was it. And I was lucky enough, I wasn't going to work, but if I could get a few days a week, I would. And I did, I was able to do so, and uh, here I am. Uh, there's always there's always a lot of work for disability support workers, especially in this in this current climate. Uh, have you found uh, um, things a little bit more difficult uh, doing your work with uh, protective equipment, or how have you found things uh, since COVID nineteen? Uh, mate, no, I haven't. I'm only working a couple of days a week um, with only two right. people. People, mate, but it's it's sort of just able-bodied work, you know, um, a bit of yeah. manual lifting, um, not right. that much, but, right. but yeah, look, it's not. I'm not in the thick of it, as it were, mate. Um, you know, I wear the no, mask and mask, no. rub up, etc. Yeah. But um, yeah. I'm sure it's, yeah, I'm sure it's proving far more challenging for a lot of people. Uh, it is very challenging. I'm still working part-time. It is exceptionally uh, challenging the longer it goes on. It's no wonder that uh, health workers have got the uh, highest rate now of uh, COVID-19 in the community. It's just um, very difficult work, exceptionally difficult. So uh, do you deal with physically, physical disability or uh, intellectual disability? Have you got any preference? Oh, look, mate, nah. I mean, I was working... A lot of people have both, of course, but... Um, yeah, no, look, there's only one that I'm working with now, Joe. Um, um, but they vary, yeah. Um, it's been yeah, mainly physical. Yeah, it's right. been mainly physical disability since I've been down here. Right, right. And uh, obviously you're just waiting for this lockdown to lift so you can disappear. Is that what you're doing or what are you, what are, what are you, what are you trying to do? Look, mate, yeah, I'm, I'm killing time more now. But, yeah, look, let's look... I'll, I'm hoping to be back in Darwin by December, you know, um, not just for Christmas, but, yeah, mate, I think my biggest challenge, I think that they're going to have flights to Darwin, but it's getting in. I don't want to have to pay $2,500 for the privilege of self-isolating, you know, which that's going to be real difficult. You know, you know what's, what the government's getting away with is shocking, you know, and forcing people to pay $2,500 in a bloody ex-gas plant, which is what you've got to, I've got to do in Darwin, you know, it's going to be an old ex-gas plant workman's camp up there, so that'll be one of my biggest challenges, Lennon. And so you've got to pay for it now, because initially people did pay, yeah. but now they've, they've, all, they've all introduced payments for it, yeah. Yeah, I think they're all... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, have so you got any plans for the future, apart from getting back with your uh, partner in, uh, in Darwin, <laughs> which I think is an important plan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. No, mate, look, no, lucky I don't have any um, pressing problems at all. Um, I want to finish my book, um, uh, which features Stuart, um, and, uh, yeah, just just this disgraceful direction we're on, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Joe, I don't think this is a conspiracy, but it's given them, as as your show has been the talkers, the bloke yesterday, and um, they've all pointed out, you know, what the the state is getting away with and the laws it's imposing now 
know, the yeah. strict against protests and all that. It's shocking. It's uh, I'm worried. I'm really worried about that. You know how that's going to pan out. Yeah, I can imagine because uh, it's difficult for a lot of people, especially down here. It's very difficult at the minute, but uh, I think obviously we'll get through it. And I think we can't let them get away with it because already I noticed that uh, Qantas has laid off two and a half thousand people. They're going to replace them, you know, with uh, outside staff and uh, businesses barking for an increased GST and. You know, it's just the beginning, I think, at the minute. Look, uh, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Rob. And uh, all I can mm-hmm. say is uh, you've, you've, le- you've, you've led a, quite a fascinating life and uh, more fascinating than most people. And are you still interested uh, in sport? Do you get any interest in sport anymore or have you given that up? Oh, oh sure. No, no, mate. Um, look, uh, yeah, no, I, I think I cheer for my team. I mean, but... Uh, I work with a physiotherapist who is a soccer player. She's a high-level high soccer player, and uh, you know, see, women's right. sport—it's it's you know—she um, she was going to go to Europe. In fact, she was, had a contract to go to Belarus, but um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so, but um, yeah, yeah, so contract contract to Belarus at the minute—that's pretty interesting, isn't it? With all the yeah, shenanigans well, going on, they take their soccer seriously over there. Yeah. I wish you and your partner all the best for the future and uh, if ever go to Darwin one day, which I'd love to. I haven't been there since 74. I was actually there, I think, before the cyclone. I can't remember. But all I can remember is I went into a pub with a friend and they said closing time and we, didn't, we ignored them and five minutes later they got the fire hose and just washed everybody out. <laughs> oh, pretty. Oh, yeah, okay. I think it was 72, or, it was 72, I think. I think I can't remember. It was just before the cyclone, yeah. Look, in the yeah, Smith, Mr. Rob Indersmith, it's been a pleasure, and it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I'm sure our listeners will love uh, listening to you. Now, the program is podcast, and you can access it by going to 3cr.org.au. It may take a day or two, but we'll, we'll get it up, and uh, you can get your partner over. Have a listen and any friends if you ask. All the best and thank you very much for uh, being part of uh, Radical Australian Community Radio 3C. Thank you, Joe, and all the best to you too, mate. Thank you. 
stepped forward and brought the ocean to my ears. Slowly sinking, I could be struggling. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.